Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the b2bincubator.com and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching in February 2024. Remember, the b2bincubator.com. Apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand journal roles, and content leads and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategy that they created in it. Again, make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. and welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Listeners, today we are discussing CRO and A-B testing, your content and creative. Listeners, we're in the fourth season of the B2B Playbook podcast. Kev, what is season four all about? Season four is about be better, listeners. It's the fourth B of our five Bs framework. The first three Bs prepped you to ensure that you deeply understand your dream customers, are creating content that's helpful to them, while starting to build relationships of trust with them online. And last season in Be Seen, we showed you how to amplify your helpful content to the right people and therefore accelerate your growth. And now that we're on to Be Better, Be Better is all about optimizing your B2B marketing workflow to cement yourself as the expert you set out to become. That's it, Kevin. Before we dive into the meat of today's episode, which I'm very excited about, uh, A-B testing, CRO, you and I did it quite a lot uh, in our old jobs, and I know you do it a fair amount in your existing role, Kevin. I think maybe we should share with the listeners how maybe you and I are trying to be better. Maybe not in our marketing, maybe our everyday life. Kevin, what are you trying to be better at right now in your everyday life? Well, George, that's quite a curveball, but I'll roll with it. Uh... <laughs> I've been trying to get more into uh, exercise. <laughs> exercise. Very good. You're optimizing your exercise, Kevin. What are you doing to optimize it? Yes, yes. Just trying to be more regular and build it into more of a habit, you know. I'm into a few racket sports, badminton, tennis. So just trying to get uh, court bookings and things like that happening on a regular basis. So I'm committed to going. So that's my cue to book in, uh, you know, a couple of sessions a week at least. Uh, to go get out on the courts and get that exercise in no matter what. Um, and that helps me, yeah, increase the frequency of my exercise. And Kev, you're a bit of a spreadsheet freak or a freak in the sheets as we love to say. 
Um, are you tracking this? Are you keeping all this logged in a calendar? Are you going back and reviewing how many times you get on the court? No, no, George. This is uh, this is not something I do too much in my spare time. I've got enough spreadsheets going in my life right now. <laughs> very good. Very, very good. Well, I mean, to share myself, Kevin, thank you for asking. Um, I am trying to get better at golf. Uh, that is a forever pursuit. And I think pretty much the only way of tracking golf, because there seems to be no correlation between how much you put into the game and how well you play. I think I'm just tracking it by how much I'm spending on this bloody game every month. And uh, if I'm spending more of it, if I'm spending more on it each month, then I'd say I'm working towards uh, playing and enjoying golf more. So that's how I'm tracking it. Anyway, Kev, this episode, we're looking at CRO, AB testing, and how our listeners should approach it. Let's launch into some definitions because, again, we've got a whole lot of acronyms. Some might know what they mean. Others might not. Kevin, what does CRO stand for? CRO stands for Conversion Rate Optimization. Effectively, it's focused on changing elements of your website to figure out what's best to provide a better conversion rate. And this often falls into a category of work called SEO or search engine optimization, which you may have heard of listeners. It also falls into the responsibility a lot of the time of the product team within a SaaS business. Right. Okay. So that's CRO, then AB testing Kev. Now, how is a, what is AB testing and how is it different from CRO? So AB testing refers to testing two or more versions of the same element uh, on your website, for example, to determine which performs better to drive a particular outcome based on statistical principles. So in a way, it is a form of CRO in the context of digital marketing. For example, experiments in advertising channels is a form of A-B testing. So in that context, it actually goes beyond just testing things on your website, but often it's referred to in the context of testing things on your website, and that's A-B testing. Right. And then the next one, Kev, that's MVT and that's multivariate testing, isn't it? And that is similar to A-B testing, uh, except in MVT, you're actually testing multiple elements at the same time on a web page or whatever it might be to see which combination of factors have the best uh, the best impact, uh, although it still uses statistical principles, Kev. Yeah, that's right. So you have CRO, which is, uh, again, conversion rate optimization. It's very much focused on improving your conversion rate uh, by changing different things on your website. Then you have A-B testing and multivariate testing, both of which test elements on either your website or in your advertising channels. But again, they're very much focused on using statistical principles to figure out which has the most impact on the goal that you have. So unlike CRO, it might not be conversion that you're going after. Maybe it's engagement, maybe it's uh, getting a particular action taken on your website or through your ads. Um, so you can actually, in that context, go beyond work on your website. But often when we talk about all those three terms, we're talking about activities that's happening on your website. So testing that's happening on your website. And importantly, figuring out what performs best based on statistical principles. That's important to keep in mind. Uh, when you are testing these things, you do need to come back to the math side of things and figure out what's working based on statistics. Kev, normally when people think of marketing and get into marketing, they normally want to tackle this stuff first, right? Because, it, I don't know, I guess it's fun. It falls into that sexy category of marketing. Let's A, B, test things. Um, and I think often people jump into it way too early. And that's why, Kev, mentally in our framework, 
all those things that we just spoke about, CRO, A-B testing, MVT, we group those together as part of the experimentation and optimization phase. And particularly experimentation and optimization of content and creatives as the focus of it. Yeah, that's right, George. I think a lot of people come into digital marketing with this idea that this is a lot of what they'll be doing. But in fact, a lot of it falls into UX or product marketing. And in fact, you can take those same principles and expand it out from where it normally gets talked about. So you can do this testing on your website content, which traditionally happens, but you can also do it on social content and on your advertising and paid channels, which doesn't get as much attention, uh, but is just as important. And we'll get into the specifics of some of that later in this episode. Uh, But listeners, you should note that one of the key things to keep in mind at this stage is that before you start, you should still ask, is it going to give you the impact that's worth the effort by applying that 80-20 principle that we always talk about? Is it going to give you the return on investment of that energy into the testing and experimentation? It's such an important question to ask, Kevin. Remember when uh, you and I worked with the client, we started doing CRO on their website and we looked based on the historical data that just a 1% improvement on their conversion rate as a result of CRO work, that would actually result in something like a $500,000 increase uh, in revenue per month, which is a huge uplift. But Kev, that only happened because they already had millions of website visitors a month and tens of thousands of conversions or purchases. So at that point, the 80-20 analysis of that CRO work obviously checks out, right? It's worth putting the effort in. But on the other hand, Kev, you and I have also worked with clients who have only a few thousand visitors or conversions a month, sometimes far less. And despite the value of those sales being much higher, the CRO work was just not worth it there because a 1% improvement would not really result in enough of an uplift in conversions to make it worthwhile. So we had to focus on much bigger picture things. Yeah, that's right, George. And that's what makes CRO important, but also something that needs to be taken in the right context and explored further in the right context when the timing is right. As that example you just gave there, George, you know, when it's a business with a lot of turnover, with a lot of traffic, where a small improvement in a conversion rate can have a big impact on revenue, then of course it's worth it. But that will obviously vary a lot business to business. So each of you listeners working within your businesses, you will have to make that decision for yourself and just make sure to apply that 80-20 analysis to the work that you're about to do, including CRO, when you're looking at it as a viable option for scaling your business and optimizing your marketing workflow. But listeners, I think it's worth pointing out that in George and I's experience, generally with B2B businesses, a lot of times you won't get the level of traffic and conversions uh, on a monthly basis that you need on a consistent level to make the CRO work worthwhile. So make sure to have that prerequisite question in mind. Does CRO make sense when you apply an 80-20 analysis to your particular business case? Does it actually have the potential to deliver the uplift in conversions and return in revenue that you hope to see? If the answer is yes, then go ahead and keep keep going with applying uh, what we're about to talk to next in terms of how you would go about CRO. But if not, move on to another episode, move on to another activity that you could be doing at this point to optimize your activities. All right, Kev, digging into the how. Now, listeners, as always, we're going to give you a bit of a framework and process to follow here um, when you actually go about running your own CRO and uh, your own experiments. So listeners, your own setup's going to look different depending on the CRO and experimenting resources or partners that you have at your disposal. But 
We'll just give you a general overview of the steps involved about how to go running each test. All right, Kev, the first step is a hypothesis. So listeners, you need to have a hypothesis on what it is that you want to test. Now, when looking at this, it's really important to be specific about an individual or which element it is that you want to test. The less that you test at the same time, the more reliable the results will be. A great way to get started here is to really try and identify a point of friction and then make a list of how you think that you can improve it. Apply a simple 80-20 principle to roughly guess which of these is more likely to have more impact and therefore be a higher priority for you to work on first. Listeners, if you're stuck on what to test here, uh, go back to first principles, talk to your best customers, talk to your dream clients, talk about where pain points and bottlenecks were for them or a sales team that regularly is in contact with those dream customers. That can be your starting point for what to test. As well as this, we've talked about before, there's a different software that can help you identify these things. So there's things like HR and Clarity, Microsoft Clarity to figure out, you know, based on heat mapping, where are people getting stuck on your website? Where could they have an extra push to get that conversion rate up? Um, and as well as this, if you're tracking your activities on your website through something like Google Analytics, you can dig further into the data to give you directions in terms of where to go in terms of picking where to start with your testing. Um, but again, keep in mind that we always say that quantitative data needs to come with qualitative context. So do talk to your sales team, do talk to your dream customers, ask them what's happening at particular points you've identified, uh, just to verify that potentially that is in fact a bottleneck point that you can actually test and get some improvements on. All right, so that's step one, listeners. That's uh, building a hypothesis, a list of hypotheses to test. Step two is then determining the methodology. Um, so again, something that uh, people tend to skip over fairly quickly and do the bare minimum, but you do need to have a look at the methodology and decide if you wanna do testing one at a time or on multiples and whether you're hitting all the different permutations. So that's kind of deciding between whether you wanna do A-B testing or multivariate testing. Do you have enough traffic to support one or both versions? Whatever you choose, just make sure that the experiment itself is set up in a way that gives you results you can actually rely on or take a fair learning from. So that means coming back to statistical principles and ensuring that the test is set up so that you will have a statistically significant result at the end of it. For example, if you're testing two elements together, are you testing all possible permutations of those two elements? If not, you might not be able to draw the right conclusions from the results. You might actually be missing an element or a particular permutation that actually works the best. Without going too deeply into the statistical side of things, um, most of the platforms that you can use for CRO testing will give you some sort of indicator of when results become statistically significant. And those platforms will give you explanations of why um, in very simple terms. So you don't need to go into it with a statistics degree, a lot of those platforms will help you get started and get going pretty easily. But it is something important to turn your mind to and make sure that whatever you're using to test, the methodology that you're employing, the tools that you're employing will allow you to draw those right conclusions. Just wanna jump in with a quick message from our sponsor, Sessions. Are you tired of juggling multiple platforms for meetings, webinars, and calendar bookings? It can be an absolute nightmare just setting up a simple team meeting. But what if I told you there's a platform that is super user-friendly and can do all of this for you? Well, there is Say Hello to Sessions. 
More than just a Zoom alternative, Sessions is like having a personal assistant for all of your meetings. It provides meeting notes, makes it easy to share documents and screens, it distills key points for quick overviews, and it makes it super easy for everyone to work on one board. One reviewer raved about Sessions saying, quote, in a world where remote work and virtual meetings are becoming the norm, Sessions stands out as a platform that takes video conferencing to the next level. So if you're ready to give your meetings and webinars a professional edge instantly, head over to sessions.us today to try it out for free. That's sessions.us. Don't miss out on the platform that will soon be a leader in the meeting space, allowing you to have better online interactions. Visit sessions.us today. Okay, back to the show. And Kev, I think we can talk about it a little bit later, um, but I'm not sure that all of our listeners, depending on the size of the business, should be waiting around and waiting for, uh, I guess, minor adjustments to landing pages and waiting for statistically significant results to come through there. The reality is most of you guys don't have the volume and never will have the volume, at least in the near future, to um, make good decisions around that and to actually test things that are going to have a big enough impact on your business. I normally advocate for bigger, more different uh, swings, whether that be creative, focused, or something else um, when you're testing early on if you're in a smaller business. That's a good point, George. And it does raise that question uh, when it comes to methodology around testing period as well. So as you're deciding your methodology, you should decide the testing period and how long it will take for you to get a result. Again, it's another gauge for you to measure. Is this test and double check, is this test actually gonna deliver the results that you want? As George said, a lot of the times it might take too long. You might not get enough data over the lifetime of an experiment. Um, so if your testing period is you know, very long, potentially that's not the right play for you. That's not the right test for you to run right now. And so you should use that as a gauge to move on. If you're deciding your testing period and you're realizing you know that testing period is going to have to go on for too long if however you do pass that qualifier that you know the testing period won't be too long you will in fact be able to affect the change with the results that you get keep in mind that the bigger the risk of a change the smaller the test should be um, so what that simply means is set your experiment methodology up in a way so that if there's a big risk of uh, impact on your revenue whether that's positive or negative you probably should limit the size of that test so that the impact from that test is contained just in case something goes wrong with the test just in case it really affects your revenue numbers you don't want to make a change that affects all of your traffic in one go you can limit it to a certain section of your traffic and Kev, uh, that's always such a struggle isn't it is uh getting the client's buy-in or your boss's buy-in to run a test uh, particularly if they're worried that it's going to impact revenue. Um, you and I, when we worked with clients who had huge revenue and massive volumes of traffic, even just cutting off a tiny slice of that for testing was a tough ask. So that's definitely a challenge there. So it's important, I think, uh, listeners to communicate the potential upside here, um, communicate the fact that, you know, to be improving, we always have to be testing. And it's really budget that goes into testing, learning, experimenting to get better. Otherwise, you're just going to hit a plateau. Um, but certainly a challenge there, Kevin. Yeah, definitely a challenge. And hopefully, you know, limiting the risk, limiting the size of the test will help you get that conversation across the line. And finally, when we're talking about methodology, before we move on to looking at results, 
um, you do in fact have to figure out how you'll track and measure results. Um, so obviously you need the right tools and tracking setup so you actually get data from such tests. And as we mentioned just a second ago, whenever you're setting up these CRO tests, you'll probably be employing some tool to funnel the traffic correctly to make sure it's a fair test. And a lot of the times that won't inherently have a reporting mechanism in it to figure out and collect those results. But if not, or if you need to implement some tracking to make that work properly, make sure you do it before running any of these tests because otherwise you can't draw any conclusions because you won't have any data. That's it, Kev. Tracking and measuring is absolutely key. All right, on to results. So once we've run our experiment, uh, it's gone for the time period that we said it should go for. We think that we have enough data. I mean, oh, well, that's probably one of the questions, isn't it, Kevin? Have we got enough data for it to be statistically significant? That's definitely one of the results that we need to look at. Kev, I think most platforms that we've looked at and worked with, they all give an indicator as to whether you've reached statistical significance. So as you said, listeners, you don't have to work that out for yourself. Um, so that's going to give you a great indicator as to whether uh, it is statistically significant. So make sure that you check that before drawing any conclusions from the data that you've looked at. Yeah, I think it's also worth calling out here that when you do start looking at the results and trying to draw conclusions, note that a lot of the ways that these experiments are set up within these platforms and tools, there's inherent limitations in them. So depending on the amount of traffic you get or whether the test was fair or whether the audience was split in a particular way, for example, when we're talking about ads, they're split traditionally based on cookies and now users. How accurate are those tests? In that example, if we just take that further, how accurate is that with all the data privacy changes coming through? So make sure those inherent limitations, and sometimes you can't do anything about those inherent limitations, but make sure they're clear in your mind and they're accounted for when you draw your conclusions. Maybe that means taking certain conclusions with a grain of salt. Just taking that privacy uh, change example a step further, your results might actually be skewed uh, to Chrome browser users because you're getting less data or less accurate data from Apple mobile devices. And so actually your data is skewed towards those being on Chrome browsers. So, yeah, so true, Kev. There's always something that muddies those results a little bit that you probably need to remove after the fact. Uh, you know, we ran a lot of Google Ads experiments, for example, and, you know, particularly with Google Ads, when you launch a new campaign, if you're using smart bidding or even if you're on manual bidding, it takes some time for that data to level out compared to the campaign that you're running in parallel. So sometimes that first couple of weeks of data, you just have to eliminate from the data set otherwise. Otherwise, if you just looked at holistically at the time that both campaigns are running and compared them, you're not comparing apples to apples. So absolutely, Kev, it's important to look uh, into these results, take them with a grain of, of salt and look at um, what could have possibly gone wrong so you're not comparing apples to apples and remove that data. Uh, very good call out, George. Um, definitely with more and more smart bidding tools uh, being in effect with these experimental tools as well. As George said, those first couple of weeks, often the data is still settling and often we have to rule those out in the comparisons. So just keep that in mind, listeners. I guess the final step once we had a look at the results is drawing conclusions and then potentially coming up with a plan to roll out those uh, learnings from those conclusions. So have a plan in place to review the results first of all and determine next steps. Don't just let the test run 
and you know get your learnings from the data and then let that sit there and go to waste because there was no action afterwards. Some things you can ask yourself include, do you need to revisit some tests? Um, what are the next steps that you need to put in place so that in a month from now, you're actually new tests or you're taking learnings from existing tests and applying them to your existing practice? Sometimes the tests are inconclusive or run at the wrong times and when other when a lot of other things are happening and it's worth revisiting those tests as well. So all these things really needs to be a process at the end of your CRO testing that is built into that whole process from the get-go. And listen, it's just a bit more insight practically as to how Kevin and I used to do this was uh, we would basically write up a, a lengthy email in a report uh, detailing the results of the test, um, just summarizing again exactly what it is that we were testing, the methodology used, the results of it, and then of course the next steps. And there were quite a lot of details there that was in one part for the client or the key stakeholder, but also for us to revisit at a later date if we needed to go back and check, you know, exactly what did we do in this test. Uh, we also learnt over time, Kevin, to include a too long, didn't read version, <laughs> which just had like two or three bullet points at the very top of the email <laughs> because, God, we learned that over time, didn't we, Kevin, that um, everyone always has another job. Um, that's why you're doing yours and you're working with that person. So just make it as simple as possible for them to get the key takeaways and the next steps. That's it. That's it. Same same way that we structure our uh, podcast episodes with some key takeaways at the end and some indicators at the beginning. So your email uh, summarizing these sort of tests and results to those that might be interested should have that similar structure so that they can take it very quickly and roll with it. And as part of that, you know, give some potential indicators of dates when you would likely roll out changes as a result of your learnings. That really helps you, you know, start booking in calendar events, uh, reminders to start doing the next steps uh, and make sure that you're on top of it with that process to get actual value from the test, not just to run them and, and sort of do a write up of an email, but actually actioning the learnings you get from the tests. Awesome. All right, Kev, let's get into what things our listeners can look to A-B test. And I think let's start with content and messaging, Kev. Yeah, George, I think this is the, the one that a lot of our listeners will be able to do. Um, we'll actually have enough traffic or at least engagement to do. Um, listeners, you would have done a lot of testing based on hopefully qualitative and quantitative feedback at this point, maybe writing different pieces of content, maybe writing more of one particular topic within a subcategory of content that's been performing well. From the be helpful stage, you would have continuously iterated on solving dream customer pain points. And then in be seen, you would have used the same principle to build a feedback loop into your ads. You can in fact continue to refine this whole process by looking at things like what key terms or phrases or ways of describing things really get the point across better and get the results that you're after and trying to test and use more of those key terms, phrases or ways of describing and talking about things more in your content going forwards. And continuing such tests at this stage can really help you to fine tune your understanding of your dream customers, really narrow it down, but combine it with the CRO methodology of documenting, of uh, having that process for taking conclusions and learnings from those tests. Maybe you were doing it in a fairly rough and on the go way before and be helpful and be seen. Now try and build a process around that 
So as you scale, you can get other people involved to take over certain parts of that testing for you. Kev, just to give our listeners some insight as to how you and I are applying this in our own business. Now, we are quite a small business. Um, on our website for the B2B Incubator Kev, our program that people can go through and they learn how to implement the 5 Bs framework in their business over 12 weeks, um, we've got a website for it, of course, and um, we based all of the copy ba- um, based on customer interviews, the pain points that we solve, and of course, the solution that the B2B Incubator provides for them. Uh, a key part on that website, on our b2bincubator.com website is we have a section that shows the transformation that you go through from the in the in from being in the B2B incubator. So on the left-hand side, um, there's two columns. In the left column, there's basically list the pain points that the B2B marketer is experiencing. And on the right side, we show the transformation and how their world is fixed after they go through the B2B incubator. And Kev, we're trying to constantly refine this, right? Because we want to make sure we're hitting on those pain points that are most relevant to the B2B marketers that are listening to the podcast. So just last week, and I try and do this every week, I spoke to three B2B marketers, um, you know, spoke to them about what their pain points are, what they're trying to deal with now, uh, what's making their life really difficult, and can then update that section on our website to make sure that it reflects that. Um, provided, of course, the B2B incubator is a solution to that particular pain point. And then quantitatively, that's the qualitative side, then quantitatively, we can track what percentage of visitors end up uh, becoming applicants, people who apply to join the program to the B2B incubator. So just a little insight there as to how we're using qualitative uh, interviews to try and gauge what we should test, but then we're measuring quantitatively um, if there's any improvement on that side. And listeners, George also does the great legwork of looking at Microsoft Clarity and heat mapping on our website as well and figuring out do people actually stay and read sections of the website, including that section of before and after and figuring out is that content, is that language really having an impact? Are people pausing to read certain parts and hovering over certain parts? So different ways to get that quantitative data. Um, But yeah, as you said, looking at both qualitative and quantitative. Oh, God, Kev, I'm so glad you brought that up because I forgot that was a key point that I wanted to make was I am constantly looking at video sessions in Microsoft Clarity. And if you view people hovering over a certain section, you can only guess as to why they're doing that. You don't really know. You might think, hey, this person is reading it because they're really interested in it, but it might be like they're reading it because it just doesn't quite make sense. Maybe the language is confusing and they're trying to work it out by reading it a few times. The easiest way is to just ask people who have read it and say, does this resonate with you? Does this make sense? There's another example of how qualitative data is just as important, if not more important than quantitative. Okay, George, that is content and messaging. That's something our dear listeners should be testing when they look at A-B testing. Next one is creative. And that's another area that we we really look at and, and probably suggest our listeners can probably look at pretty early on. Probably something that comes from Meta and something that we reckon applies across the board. We often say that 50% of your ads performance comes down to the creative that you use. That is the images and the videos and the like that you use to pair with your messaging. And I think the same is true, George, for much of the media that our listeners could use in their B2B marketing tools. So things like what images and creatives do you use on your website with your content and your organic social posts. 
So it's important to get some of that feedback that we've been talking about and some of that quantitative and qualitative data in more creative ways as well and talking about what creatives are you actually using to communicate your message. That's it, Kevin. You can get so bogged down in all of that, but listeners, just remember, remember the principles of the five Bs that you still have to be helpful when you're running these tests. Your content really needs to be helpful. It's not just about trying to make it prettier and prettier or try and get a better and better click-through rate. Make sure that your content is as helpful as possible. That's the goal. We're here to build relationships with people. We're using content as a vehicle to do that. So primarily make it helpful. And uh, I would say, Kev, that the main tests, uh, particularly if you're running ads on something like social, it's how can we get people's attention? How can we interrupt the scroll in the feed? And that's really where your attention needs to go is like, yes, make it, make sure it's helpful content. And then two, how can we get people to stop scrolling and actually read this great helpful content? And I think a really key part of that, Kev, is something that we spoke to Miles Madden about uh, when we interviewed him in season three. Uh, He is a huge fan of trying to engage and lean on creative experts much earlier in the process. So early creatives are brought in right at the end of a brief Um, But it's fantastic to bring them in uh, much earlier on Uh, because if you bring creatives in earlier in the process, then it can really change the nature of that creative piece and make it so much more engaging. If you are a younger business, I do like to see bigger creative tests uh, more than smaller ones, you know, rather than changing the color of a button, for example, on your call to action. Um, Can you radically change the approach um, of that piece of creative and compare the two? Unless, of course, you have a piece of creative that is absolutely killing it for you. It's achieving all those goals that you want it to. Yeah, okay, in that one, try and get incremental improvements. Um, But otherwise, bigger swings are better. Again, apply that 80-20 rule and look where that uplift is uh, is going to be and spend your time accordingly. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, That's certainly my opinion too, George. Uh, Another way to look at it is if you're testing... 100% 100% of zero, it's still zero. So you can definitely take bigger swings and try and make that a one. Um, so yeah, make those bigger swings while you can, um, while you can at a smaller stage of the business because that's more likely to have that payoff and you don't have as much to lose at that point. Well, George, this next one that we talk a lot about um, is uh, on-site testing. And I think you know, it's talked to death. There's a lot of content out there, um, but we'll give our two cents on that as well. I think it is important to keep in mind again that your whole website should be geared towards being helpful. If the website is helpful and is a great experience to the dream customers that you want to bring in, that should continue to build trust and will increase the chances of someone buying from you. So if a test doesn't make the site more helpful for an audience, it may be worth thinking about doing something else or reframing that test. That's the overarching principle that we like to communicate when it comes to CRO testing on your website. That's it, Kevin. That mindset of being helpful, it it doesn't just mean uh, putting on industry-relevant helpful content and making that on the front page of your website so you all look like a big media media company. It's not about that. It's about going, okay, what would actually be helpful to my dream customer at the point where they visit my website? Is it making sure that our pricing is readily available? Is it easy to understand? Is it really clear what services and products we offer? Do we have that 
educational content for those who are not ready to buy from us yet. Ask yourself all these questions um, before you run a test and make sure you keep that top of mind. Well, we've spoken about this next one already, George, and that's uh, CRO testing or AB testing in advertising or paid channels. And we've spoken about some of those details around testing paid ads. But listeners, you can also do this on a bigger scale. You can actually A-B test whole paid channels. You can run a test where you put two channels against each other to push different but similar products to see which one drives more impact for your objectives. Or you can even try switching off a channel altogether and seeing what kind of impact that has short-term and long-term on overall performance. In fact, a common one that people like to run is switching off branding campaigns and seeing if that has any impact on overall performance. This helps them gauge whether these actually have an impact at all since they often don't have as much of an immediate revenue impact. Now listeners, to save you some time, and our experience, these generally do have a very big impact, particularly when they're done right, so don't switch them off. You might notice if you do that your performance is going to start to suffer 6, 12 months down the track, maybe sooner, and then it takes a really long time to get it back up to where it was. And that's an overall example of um, something that we like to take um, into testing advertising and testing your paid ads. Just remember to be careful with these big tests. You know, you're spending money to drive some of this traffic. You're spending money that directly delivers revenue in a lot of cases because it's demand capture. Um, So that inherently means that the risk is bigger and so maybe the test should be smaller as a result, a principle that we spoke about just a minute ago. I'm glad that you called out um, branding there, Kevin, and making sure that people, if it's done right, don't turn off your spend on branding. Um, It might seem like, as you said, that there's no immediate impact one, two months down the road, but it guarantees six to 12 months, your business will start to feel it if you were doing a good job branding earlier. On the performance side, it's almost the reverse. What about that huge test that Rand Fishkin spoke to us about, Kevin, that Airbnb did where they cut over $500 million of performance advertising spend from uh, Airbnb and they saw no measurable difference um, from cutting that spend. So that's an enormous test, uh, one that has obviously paid dividends for them and has allowed them to reinvest that money into other areas uh, that might be more fruitful for the company. And listeners, you'll be interested to know, I've noticed a lot more branding ads that they're running. So Airbnb is obviously reinvesting their funds and their efforts into branding ads. So just because they're switching off performance ads doesn't mean they stop advertising altogether. They have focused on talking about their brand, talking about the things that are actually helpful to their dream customers. You know, air cover seems to be on every ad from them that I see these days. It's always talking about how the the you know Airbnb hosts as well as people staying at Airbnbs are protected by the insurance, by the different things and services available to them as part of the Airbnb service. So keep that in mind as an example that if you do branding ads right, it's gonna have more impact than your performance ads. And the way to do it right is to focus on being helpful. Oh my God, Kevin, I have seen them everywhere as well. Like buses, like at bus stations, billboards, and yeah, they're all really high level uh, brand ads. Like, and a lot of it like highlights the different reasons that you might want to choose Airbnb. Um, you know, about like maybe renting a home with a beautiful pool or, uh, 
you know, going to a place where like the kitchen is big enough for all your family to go in and all cook together. Stuff that, you know, is unique to Airbnb uh, as opposed to a run-of-the-mill hotel. So really cool to see that investment in branding. Listen, there's another more specific but very important and common area that you can test is your conversion funnel. So this specifically means the steps involved in checking out or completing a purchase online. And it can even include things like an account sign-up process. You can test things like removing steps in forms in that sign-up process or purchase process or changing the layout and look and feel of different pages and buttons along that process. Now, because this testing is so close to the purchase, you want it to be as painless and as quick as possible to get the sale across the line. But something that a lot of people miss when they're doing this type of testing is that you shouldn't make the process one that tries to trick or fool people into buying something. That is not being helpful and definitely not building trust or long-term relationship. This is particularly important in B2B businesses where those things really matter. Let your content and nurture activities do the hard work in getting someone asking them for the right products and the right services from you and getting to that checkout stage, not getting them to do that purchase action and buy a higher value product with tricks. God, the worst ones at this, Kev, are Amazon. I don't know how. Almost every time I buy something from Amazon, they like I almost accidentally sign up to Amazon Prime. I, I don't know how they do it, and it's just so not obvious that <laughs> that is a part of it. God, even trying to get rid of Audible is almost impossible. So, yes, not a helpful experience. It's not just me. I've heard it from a number of people, but... I'm not going to tell Amazon what to do, Kev. They're doing just fine. But listeners, don't try and be like them. You're not Amazon. Just be helpful. You need relationships over the long term to build a good business. So so don't trick people into doing something they don't want to do. Yeah, there's very few businesses out there with Amazon's scale and ability to bully other businesses and people into decisions like that. Um, So, um, and, you know, it's not something we would condone generally anyways, but I think... Uh, it probably pays to not uh, engage in that sort of activity where you can avoid it and try and be helpful instead. All right, Kev, finally, let's get into some common tools that are going to help our listeners actually roll out uh, these conversion rate optimization tests. Um, Of course, Clarity is one that I really love. People are probably more familiar with Hotjar. Um, They're great heat mapping tools and they also give you video recorded sessions so you can see how people are actually interacting with your site and um, Clarity, I don't believe actually lets you set up experiments, but I think Hotjar does in terms of running AB and multivariate tests. So um, look, if you're just getting into it and you wanna get an idea as to what to test, Clarity can be great before you get budget for something like Hotjar where you actually go ahead and use that to run the test itself. Google Optimize, I think that's another free version, Kevin. That's another great way to run tests, uh, particularly if you run Google Suite in your business. VWO, that's a big one. That's more an enterprise type solution. So for those of you in bigger businesses with bigger budgets, uh, VWO is definitely one to look at. And when you come to 
improving your conversion funnel. Um, there's a lot of platforms for doing that. Things like HubSpot and Shopify allow you to build simple forms uh, that then you're, you can test and A-B test and things like that. Limited things you can do within those platforms themselves, but they do have form builders that make that form building process easier. Or even something like paper form, depending on your industry and types of forms you're after. A lot of them come with templates that you can then use as the basis of your tests. Sometimes these services might come with uh, things that you're already using. So maybe you have a HubSpot already that you're using for your CRM and you can just pay for an extra service to do, or it might even be included um, to do these forms and testing within the platform. So do check out what you have already and see what you might be missing or not using that's already there. Other ones to check out that are fairly common, uh, at least a, a few years ago when we were more deep in the trenches on this stuff were AB Tasty and Optimizely. Um, those things are specifically focused on AB testing on your website and on site. And then on the ad side, you know, each of the platforms that allow you to run ads really have their own experimental tools and management tools, um, their own versions of that. Um, and that in fact includes something like HubSpot. So again, just go through where you would normally run ads and figure out what tools are available to you and which one suits your needs the most. Beautiful. Only other one I might add there, Kevin, is um, you can use a data enrichment tool like Clearbit to actually reduce the number of fields that people fill out um, on your website when they're requesting a demo or something um, because it's able to recognize certain emails and then fill in the blanks as to where it is that they work. Uh, you don't have to ask them to answer that firmographic information that you might when people request a demo like you know, uh, the name of the company, how many employees are there, et cetera, et cetera. That then goes through and does that for you. So just one more to look at. Oh, George, uh, getting ahead of our schedule and giving our listeners a teaser for an episode to come in a couple of weeks where we talk about data. But very good listeners. Um, there you have it. There's some of the top tools that you can use uh, for CRO testing. Key takeaways for this episode. CRO, A-B testing, MVT, all these things you can think of as testing and refining the look of your website, content, and or ads to better deliver on your business and marketing objectives, which hopefully is being helpful and making your customer experience better from their point of view. As you get to a certain scale in your growth, it will be worthwhile to put in place a clear system for regular testing of this nature but keep in mind your guiding principles. Such testing and experimentation isn't the end goal and only do it if it's based on an 80-20 analysis that shows that it's worthwhile to pursue and use that same principle as well as the aim of being helpful to decide how to go about such testing. Very, very good. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, listeners. Now, as usual, you can find links to everything we discussed in the show notes. And next week, listeners, we're going to start digging deeper into some of the things that you can do to maximize your affiliates and gain true partners. Listeners, we're so grateful that more and more marketers tune in every week to the B2B Playbook. It's been so lovely to see that steady growth. Kev, every month we've had more and more joining us. And listeners, if you get value from the show, please pass it on to someone who might find value from it too. Or leave us a short review on whatever platform it is that you listen on. It's a huge help to us and we really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, listeners. Take care and see you next week. Thank you, George. Thank you, listeners. See you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. 
Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. 